Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing again today our series, God and Money. So let's again turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Wisdom in Handling Money. The book of Proverbs is a book whose single purpose is to teach us skill in living. It covers all manner of subjects, everything from sex to politics to learning to work to attitudes about all manner of relationships. But one of the key areas of discussion is skill in living with money. And today we're going to look at what the book of Proverbs says about money. Let me start by saying that there is a sobering truth about money. Money's like fire. Fire can warm your house when it's in the fireplace or in the furnace, but if it's on the living room floor, it's going to burn your house down. That's how it is with money. You see, for some, money has provided joy, and it's an extension of their faith. Some have, through the abuse of money, wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with sorrows. We're going to use the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, 7 to 11, as the basic text. But because of the kind of a book that Proverbs is, we're going to be looking at a range of passages that Proverbs uses in speaking about money. Our text, if you can imagine, forms a paragraph. The passage at the beginning and at the end are like bookends, and everything in the middle relates to the topic that is described in the bookend. So everything we read in this short paragraph relates to money. Well, here it is. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The life of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. When we look at verse 7, we find out that when it comes to money, things are not always as they appear. There's a whole awful lot of pretending going on. Consider, for instance, an ad that appeared on television several years ago. A man appears and says, you're probably wondering how I've done it. Beautiful house, gorgeous and spacious designer yard, two great and expensive cars, a boat, a couple of fancy vacations a year to exotic places in complete luxury the best furniture, designer clothing, expensive jewelry, kids going to the best private schools in the country. How do I do it? And he smiles and the camera zooms in and he says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. There's a whole lot of pretending going on. So since this is a message on how to handle money based on wisdom from Proverbs, let's begin at the top. Let's talk about making money. Now, as you know, there are only five ways to make money. You can earn it, you can win it, you can inherit it, you can invest it, or you can steal it. I mean, I think that's it. Now, does the Bible have anything to say about that? In fact, you may be surprised at how explicit the Bible is. First, the Bible makes clear that God's will is that we work diligently. That's very important, so listen up. God has so designed us that we should be productive for a lifetime. It's no accident that people who work hard and retire and do nothing, sometimes they die within two years. Your designer, God, intended you to be productive. That is the pathway to health and happiness, and not only so, but that you should work hard. Listen to the counsel that comes from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Or Proverbs 13, verse 4. 
The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Now, that theme is picked up in the New Testament. Look, for instance, at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Now, I say this forcefully because work is commended to us. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were told to work the garden. The idea of finally having enough money so that you don't have to work is probably one of the most harmful things you can ever do to your soul. According to the Bible, it will lead you to be a busybody bugging everyone else. It will lead to unnatural cravings and sins, and it will lead to foolish talk. God's will is that we work diligently. That's how we stay mentally and socially healthy. Now, to the retired, I would strongly urge you to use your free time for the benefit of the kingdom of God and not for the benefit of spending your life on a beach counting the grains of sand. Of course, take a vacation, but be productive for a lifetime. Now, second, God's will for you is that you be influential. Let me take you to one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. It's in chapter 22, verse 29. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. I hope you understand this passage. If you're skillful in your work, you have a particular skill. You might be a mechanic, you might be a scientist, a nurse, a computer programmer, electrician. If you have a skill that's needed by others, says Proverbs, and you work hard at that, you are placed in a role of influence. You become a shaper of others. Now, please understand, Jesus called us to be salt and light, to touch people and our culture and transform them in Christ's name. It's your skillful work that opens doors of opportunities for you. If you are openly Christian, and if you are wise in your influence, you will soon see that your position or influence is a part of God's plan to touch the lives of many. Now, I need to say something here to moms who are at home taking care of your kids. You might say, does this have something to do with me? One of the best things you can do is to be a skillful mother for your shaping the destiny of your children. Now, moms, no matter what our culture teaches you, stay home if you can. Care for your kids. Learn to be skillful in this endeavor, for it earns an eternal reward. Your kids need someone to disciple them. It's for no reason that the old adage says, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. It's actually true. How much more crucial is your work than what presidents and kings perform? But that's true whatever work we do. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're a skilled, diligent, and honest mechanic. Think of the impact in people's lives, especially those who feel vulnerable when they need to have their car repaired. Same is true for hundreds of skilled trades and professions. And if you have no skill to offer and you don't work hard, your opportunity to impact this culture for Christ is minimized. See, can I add a thought? Don't hope to win the lottery. I mean, why would you trade in your assignment from God for the privilege of living for pleasure and being tempted by the evil one? If right now you're older and never did get a skill or a trade, let me comfort you. Christ is able to work out his intentions in your life. 
But if you're young, let's say you're in your 20s or in your 30s, I urge you to choose a career and get a skill that can make an impact. If you say, I really can't decide, I think I have some counsel for you. You see, I meet 19-year-olds regularly who tell me they don't know what they want to do when they grow up. Really? You are grown up. And then they're 25 and they still can't figure it out. Now they're 35 and then soon it's going to stop mattering. Their lives are one of unused potential, a life that could have been so much more influential for Christ. Now it's simply wasting away. So here's my counsel. If you're not sure what skill or career to choose, just pick one and go. Enroll in a college or trade school, get a catalog, close your eyes, open the book, put your finger down, do that thing, do something. Something is infinitely better than doing nothing. You can change your mind later, or you might find that God is guiding you in this process. Secondly, to parents of young men and women. We made a rule in our house, and it went like this. After you graduate, we want you to do at least one year in a formal biblical training to set your direction. After that, if you're in university or trade school and some form of education or training, oh, you can live at home for free. We'll even help you with a lot of the expenses. But if you're just working at any job or not working at any job, you'll be charged room and board at exactly the same rate as you'd pay out there in the world. See, if you moms and dads do the same thing, my counsel is that you will do one of the most loving things your kids will ever receive from your hands. You will prepare them to live well and to live wisely. But if you're letting them stay at home for free and are freeloading, when they have no direction, you're preparing them to live unwisely. The Jewish rabbis used to say, if you don't prepare your children for a career, you're preparing them to steal. Stop killing your kids with unwise kindness. Instead, train your children to stand before kings. What a joy that brings to their life. I hope you see that work and money and influence and the advance of the gospel and eternal rewards, all of those things are bound up in one. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, need to keep talking about money. The faithful, accurate teaching of the Bible impacts lives. Krista wrote, I came across Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld a few weeks ago when I was looking for biblical advice on a specific topic. And what a blessing this ministry has been ever since. I've listened to many podcasts, discovered In Doubt, and have recommended both to friends. I appreciate the faithfulness to biblical teachings, the depth of the teachings themselves, deep but explained in a way easy to understand. Back to the Bible is so appreciative to all those who help make the daily Bible teaching program happen. It's not one person, but thousands with a commitment to the importance of teaching God's Word. Your gift, your prayers are critical. So please continue to support the program in your area so that others like Krista might grow closer in their walk with Jesus every day. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We've been talking about wisdom and money. We started by saying that it is the will of God that each of us work diligently. To be idle is not what the Creator created us for. 
For those who are unable to work due to a medical condition, might I invite you to call your pastor or someone else and ask them how you can contribute to the kingdom. You might be amazed at how God will open doors for you. It was Annie Johnston Flint, the author of the beloved hymn, He Giveth More Grace. She was confined to a wheelchair with a debilitating and painful illness. And so she worked on writing poems and hymns that have transformed millions of people. God's grace allows all of his people to be in some way productive and influential for a lifetime. Now, out of that comes another principle. God's will for his people is not only productivity, but generosity. Listen to Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I'm going to devote my last address in this series to that issue. But let me open the door to a spiritual picture. Try to hang on to every last penny and you'll always crave more. Open your heart and your wallet and you'll have enough. I once had the privilege of working with a very dear colleague, Pastor Carlin Weinhauer. He used to say, you can give your way out of debt. You know, at first I winced when he said that, but now I think he was right. You could always be a giver. Now, I want you to listen to how Proverbs combines the idea of working diligently, skillfully, and being generous. I'm reading Proverbs 21, verses 25 to 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. See, here's the distinction between living a life in which we are self-focused and a life in which we are other-focused. We can almost picture the individual whose life is taken up in wanting what he or she doesn't have and a life that is taken up in providing what is so lacking in this world. Let me give you a little personal example. I love motorcycles. I have one. I also love going to a motorcycle show, just observing new models. And when there's a show that shows off vintage or classic bikes, well, expect me there. Because Back to the Bible operates in India and I get to go there, I find the streets jam-packed with motorcycles. I think I'm in motorcycle heaven. But here's a little secret. I've learned to enjoy them, but not to crave them. I don't come back from a show thinking that I'm not full unless I have a new bike. But what God is creating in me is a passion to give to fill up the needs of this world, and I've not forgotten that there is no greater need in this world than that this world should hear the saving message of Jesus. Do you hear me? There's a world of difference between an enjoyment and a passion. I've asked God for but one passion, a passion for Him, and a passion to see His gospel widely proclaimed. But let's get back to Proverbs, that the righteous gives and does not hold back. It is God's will that we give, but also it is God's will that we provide. Now, by that, I, of course, mean to provide for one's family and one's own needs. We're going to see in a little while that the greatest challenge that many of us will face is to determine what an appropriate level of provision actually looks like. Now, we've said that it's God's will that we be productive for a lifetime. It's God's will that we be generous and willing to give. It's God's will that we provide for our family and those under our care. And it's also God's will that in doing these matters, that we be found to be unscrupulously honest. Proverbs 20, verse 23 says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. In the time of the writing of Proverbs, having an inaccurate scale was one of the chief ways that someone might be dishonest in his business. 
But today, there are a number of ways that our honesty can come into question regarding our work. See, we can misrepresent a product. We can renege on a promise. We can provide shoddy labor. We can lie about a business deal. We can underpay those who work for us. We can fail to do a full day's work for a full day's pay. We can not pay a contractor who provided a service for us. You know, it was said of Daniel that when his enemies wanted to find some reason to condemn him, the only reason that they could find is in relationship to his God. Tragically, many Christians have left behind them a trail of dishonest dealings. This is the principle of dishonest scales. And hear me, God abhors this. So let's sum up what we've learned from Proverbs. God wants you to live a lifestyle of work. He wants you to be diligent and energetic. He wants your work to be the springboard of influencing our culture for Christ. He wants us to be known as a model of honesty in all our financial dealings. He wants through our work that we make money, provide for ourselves and our loved ones, and out of that to be generous so that the kingdom of God can go forward. This is God's plan in making money. Okay, so good so far. Now let's go back to Proverbs 13, 7 to 11. Within the wider wisdom of Proverbs, what do these verses teach us? Note verses 7 and 8 again. Verse 7, one pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. Now to verse 8. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Now, from verse 8, we learn that as your wealth increases, so do your cares and worries and threats and anxieties. See, funny thing is, we actually don't get happier by having more money. So that leads me to the next item. Let's talk about how we spend our money. Now, all of us know that we need to spend money, and it has everything in the world to do with the kind of lifestyle that we want to live. And it's precisely in this area that we find our souls to be in peril. Listen to Proverbs 27, verse 20. Sheol and Abaddon are not satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Now, on to Proverbs 30, verses 15 to 16. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. This thing called desire, this tap that can never be turned off, this lust of the eyes that wants all that it sees, this seed that makes all lives unhappy and never content. All of us need to confess that we live in a consumer economy and in a consumer environment. You know, some years ago in the Vancouver Sun, Daphne Bramham wrote an article entitled, We're Choking in Stuff, But There's Little Joy in It. Here's what she says. We've become a nation where people can actually sell non-alcoholic beer for dogs, which no doubt they've been panting for all these years. And $42 pineapple slicers, which will come in handy after Vancouver gets the full impact of global warming and they're as common as zucchini in the back garden. Then when we've got all this stuff, we can't seem to let go. For every sale ad this month, there's one for storage solutions, closet organizers, baskets, boxes, bags, shelves, hangers of all sorts, and of course, storage lockers. And she goes on to talk about reality television shows where a team of people will come in and rescue people from being overwhelmed with a mountain of debris that they've accumulated. And invariably in these homes, what's discovered is shopping bags full of purchases that were never unwrapped. Now, if you watch television, 
Every 12 minutes, someone will come on and urge you to buy something. And we can talk about stewardship, but how do I compete with a guy who tells you to buy something constantly? Proverbs indicates we are like the gates of Sheol. We are never satisfied. Listen to the teaching of 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So then, seek godliness with contentment. It's impossible for me to give you rules on what you should and shouldn't buy, or at what lifestyle level you should live. The issue is the state of your soul. And some of us have a vacuum in our heart that was meant to be filled by God, and we have filled it with stuff. If the truth were told, almost all of us have food, shelter, clothing, medical care, and transportation that kings in the past would never have dreamt of. And like Sheol, which lives in us, we want more. Listen, you have a spiritual problem. The money is only a symptom, not the problem. Tell him, oh Lord, I'm not content. And this is like a diagnosis of my spiritual condition. I've not found you to be my joy, and so I've substituted prayer and service and worship for buying and consuming. Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. That needs to be our prayer. You know, tomorrow we're going to speak about saving money and borrowing money, and, and we need to commit ourselves that we will use our money with wisdom so that in all things we will learn to glorify God with our wealth. So be it, Lord Jesus. John, I think we deal with money so differently through the generations. Does that say anything about what we want or what our pursuits are? Yeah, there is something about this cascading effect of money that, you know, we just keep wanting more and more. And I do know that, you know, when we think about the generation that were called the builders that went through the war, I mean, they learned never to spend what you don't have. And then, of course, there is the baby boomer generation, which learned that credit could easily be had. And then, of course, we've now come to a generation that takes it up into the stratosphere. And I think we are living in a culture that is constantly bombarding us with the need to spend what we don't have. We've all seen those statistics that show that the average Canadian household debt is growing astronomically so that if there was a downturn or an uptick in the interest rates or anything of that nature, that we would see a number of people in a cataclysm immediately because we're living so on the edge. And really, Proverbs says that's unwise. Now that's something to think about. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. April 28th to May 6th, 2019, we invite you to join Back to the Bible Canada on our 2019 Israel Experience with Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and special worship and musical artist John Buller, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Touch, see, and experience the journeys of Paul and David and walk where Jesus walked. This will be a unique, intimate experience of Israel like no other. But time is running short and the guest list is near full. So if you've been planning on visiting Israel and seeing so many of the sites of the Bible, register today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visiting backtothebible.ca. And special note, 
We'll also be offering an optional and exclusive tour of Jordan immediately following the Israel experience accompanied by Dr. Neufeld. So call today and avoid any disappointment at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.